This is Doing Good Through Food. I'm Alex Coffin and my guest on the show today is Peter Cook. Peter runs the Grocery Sustainability Programme at Manomet, a non-profit organisation based in New England that applies science and engages people to sustain our world. The programme, which Peter launched, is the first and only grocery sustainability programme in the States. It leads to the Grocery Stewardship Certification uh, through a program that helps grocery stores to reduce their environmental footprint through continuous improvement and employee engagement. Peter's designed outdoor and nature-based programs for 30 years, working with Outward Bound, with government and with sustainability nonprofits. He believes grocery stores have a vital role to play in creating a more sustainable food system. He also believes engaging consumers to think more deeply about the food they purchase is a key part of the equation and is working to achieve both those outcomes. It's my pleasure to say, Peter, welcome to Doing Good Through Feed. Okay, thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure to have you here. Um, in doing my research for this and in, in the sort of, uh, you know, communication we've had back and forth, there's, it, it's really seems very clear how important the outdoors is to you. It's been a huge part of your life from what I can see. Is I suppose, is that right? And does it um, is that what led you to want to work in sustainability? I think it is. Uh, when I first came out of college, my first job uh, was as an Outward Bound instructor. And so I, I basically spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week for months at a time, outdoors in the wilderness, designing uh, leadership programs for teenagers and for corporate groups as well and college groups. Uh, but yeah, the enjoying the natural resources and, and getting out into uh, in nature. Uh, there's sort of a communication that goes on, you know, with, with yourself in nature. And uh, that was the, the my first work experience uh, as soon as I was finished with school. But even before that, I was also very interested in being in the woods. Mm. Did you see something about the importance of sustainability and you know do you think that, that it started there perhaps yeah um i think so because when you're out in the woods and you're carrying minimal gear you have to be very resourceful uh every day every hour is a lesson on just doing more with less because you can't bring everything with you and uh, you have to be very thrifty and creative about how you travel through through the natural landscape. If you really want to do it for many days at a time, you have to plan. And there's a bit of sustainability uh, planning that goes on with that to have a successful expedition or a successful trip. Um, and not just in hiking or walking or canoeing through through nature, but, you know, sometimes nature is a challenge. I mean, it throws rapids at you or it throws a storm at you and you have to figure out a way to sustain yourself through something that could be challenging and so yeah i think it's a great lesson in overall sustainability and you know in the world that we all live in and in the business world as well yeah absolutely um i i really i want to get into what you're doing at manomet and the um you know this this the work around grocery stores but i just just i suppose the first a kind of question before we jump right into it, um, perhaps kind of defining terms, grocery store in in America, does that have a particular meaning? Does it does that apply to giant things like Walmart or what would be Tesco over here? Or does that does that mean something more sort of more local, smaller scale? I uh, know it's pretty open. Uh, it could be a Walmart or a Tesco. It could be a, a very small boutique shop. Uh, 
it could be a, a you know potentially i'm happy to work with even just a gas station you know that mm-hmm. sells potato chips soda or whatever it is uh basically any of these sorts of businesses um or buildings that we so frequently go to and get all these items which we consume on such a regular basis uh is basically i'm just kind of lumping that all into the grocery store and uh for the most part i would say 99 point whatever percentage of the facilities that we work with with over 900 stores right now uh they're they're mostly just a traditional sort of looking grocery store that has like you know 10 or 15 aisles worth of food cleaning chemicals plastic bags stuff like that mm-hmm. all of all of them selling food and all of them uh refrigerating and and everything else that they that they do at all the levels, I suppose. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the one common denominator is the food. Uh, mm. And, you know, a lot of these food stores also realize that uh, they they have an opportunity to also sell other goods, uh, whether it's paper plates, kitty litter, shampoo, or whatever. Uh, but I would say the common denominator is food, absolutely. Mm. So um, I, I know that, um, you know, again, from what we've we've sort of spoken about and emailed about um before sitting down today you believe grocery stores have got this important role to play in communities um and you you know you you have given a ted talk where you know that that was a big part of it a, a sort of theme in there um maybe we could just start by why why do you believe they are so important in communities well yeah there's a it's a good question because there's a number of reasons why i think uh, they are so important. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, after I got out of the woods and after I was a, a wilderness instructor, uh, I was uh, working for the government in the state of Maine doing sustainability programs for them. And I was designing sustainability programs for metal platers, for wood products, for ski areas, for auto repair, for fiberglassers. Um, and even though I spent, you know, every day designing programs for just a variety of different industry sectors, uh, I was perplexed as to why every time I went into the grocery store, like my brain was short circuiting and, you know, but mostly I was just, you know, concentrating on getting through my list of, you know, butter, you know, milk, kitty litter, you know, food, cereal. Uh, but then one day it hit me. I was like, oh my goodness. It's like, I, for, you know, these these businesses are everywhere. We go to them so often. Um, in America, we go to the grocery store twice a week on average. Uh, and we don't go to the metal plater twice a week or the wood products place twice a week. And we certainly don't go to the ski area twice a week because it's so expensive. But yeah, we go to the grocery store two times per week. And my brain was short-circuiting because I was so focused on just getting in and getting out of there that I wasn't really thinking about the sustainability implications of, of this store that I go to so frequently. And so uh, when I realized that, I started thinking about it more in depth. And I started thinking about ways that grocery stores could really sort of uh, take track of how they uh, manage the resources that uh, are coming through the store, whether it's food or whether it's energy or water or it's materials like cardboard and packaging. Uh, and so, you know, some of the several reasons why I think it's so important uh, was because the grocery store that I was going to so frequently really wasn't communicating or demonstrating that su- sustainability was important at all. 
And here I am spending all this time with all these other industries. And I realize the one that we go to so often is really missing the boat. They're missing that huge opportunity to engage their customers and to engage their employees. So there's a couple other reasons right there. I mean, just having the, the workforce be engaged and interested in helping the business either be w- less wasteful or more efficient. Uh, you don't see that. In fact, a lot of the times when you go to a grocery store, uh, a lot of people know what it's like to get an unengaged employee. Uh, because as soon as you, if you're looking for something or you need some help, and you come across an unengaged employee, you know, within five seconds, like, oh my goodness, how do I separate from this person? I just met them five minutes, five seconds ago. I think I could probably find what I'm looking for faster than they can. And they work here. And like, you don't know how to break up with this person that you just met. And so it gets kind of awkward. But there's a huge, you know, possibility and a huge opportunity for those employees to be more engaged. And a lot of the market re- or a lot of the social science out there and a lot of the research out there has shown that it's uh, easy to engage employees if you involve them in either environmental or social aspects of their job. Uh, there's a study out there by Rutgers uh, with net impact that came out a few years ago. And uh, they determined that if you can involve an employee in either the social or the environmental aspects of their job, they have higher job satisfaction rates by a level of two to one. And, you know, that can translate into job retention, but it also just translates into better customer service and more engagement. Mm. Uh, And that's what customers want. And I think when we go to the grocery store, uh, we miss all of that. We miss having really truly engaged employees. We miss really truly what is this facility that's in the middle of our all of our communities doing to either be more sustainable or to engage with the community. And, you know, a lot of grocery stores do. I mean, a lot of them support Earth Day cleanups or like little league teams or something like that. But the vast majority of them, if you go into it, most employees at the grocery store have no idea what that grocery store is doing to engage with the community. And a lot of employees seem like they're not engaged. And it seems to me like a lot of the grocery chains, and I've worked with a lot of them over the past five or six years, uh, are swinging and missing on the opportunity to truly engage their employees and to be more sustainable. And, you know, there's an economic uh, benefit to being more sustainable because it means you're being less wasteful and it means you're being more efficient with regard to resources. But it's it's perplexing. It's uh, it, it's perplexing as, as to why they may not be doing that. And I think I've sort of figured out some of the reasons why they don't. Hmm. The um, Just about the... And I, I want to hear what all those... What all those uh all those reasons are absolutely the i was just wondering before we sort of moved on to that perhaps the you work with a you said 900 stores now and so lots and lots of different communities and do you do you see these stores playing the same role in these different communities i mean if you're in a you know city versus rural if you're in a i don't know area with different different income i mean are they are the same opportunities to engage there and and do they approach them in the same way uh, yeah, I would say these opportunities are at the vast majority of all across the spectrum of all the grocery stores. Uh, and so right now, uh, we have 900 grocery stores across the U.S., from Maine down to Florida, across to Texas, over to California. Um, 
my uh, my colleagues at work and I, we've been to probably more than four or 500 of them over the past several years. We don't audit every single one in the program. We do a representative sample, but we do. We go to a lot of grocery stores and it uh, across the spectrum of these grocery stores, uh, it seems that the majority of them are in these communities and they're just there. They're not truly engaged in the community. They're not really taking a lead on helping the planet be more sustainable. They're offering all these products. They realize their customers are coming in, but it really lacks community leadership. And it's such an important business and it's such an important space in each community. But when we go there, it's almost like we're, we're just in a, in a daze, you know, and we go through and we get our list and we slide our card and we leave. And a lot of us know that, you know, the planet really needs to do stuff to be more sustainable. But we go there so frequently and yet we never say anything to them ever. You know, we just slide the card and we go. And then we're back several days later and we go through the whole thing. And then as you go through the grocery store, you realize, wow, this place, it's, uh, it, it basically looks like it's always looked. Uh, it's hard to distinguish, you know, the, the grocery store of today from a grocery store of 1960. They look almost the exact same and they operate almost the exact same. Still wasteful with energy, still wasteful with materials, same products on the shelf, a lot of corn syrup, a lot of corn, uh, you know, based products, a lot of sugar-based products. It's almost like you're in a time machine and you go back in time. In fact, even with the music playing at a lot of these, you still can't tell what decade it is. But, you know, apart from all that stuff, uh, the role that grocery stores have or, or could have to communicate and demonstrate sustainability is a big opportunity for them. And uh, I think it would resonate with the vast majority of their customers. When um, you see examples of good practice, I mean, what does that... What does that look like? Is it something like, um, I suppose, Whole Foods is a big thing in America and there's, you know, there has branches in the UK as well, um, where that is very much front and centre. Is it is it something along those lines that you picture or is it is it more, uh, I don't know, behind the scenes, more, more you know, less? Is it different? Well, well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's front and centre stuff and it's behind the scenes. So mm. some of the stuff that I look for, uh, now that I've been to so many grocery stores with this lens of sustainability that I'm looking at it, uh, literally we can start in the parking lot. And the way the program uh, that I manage works, uh, it's a workbook-based program that helps grocery stores manage for sustainability. And it literally, it's a workbook that literally starts them out in their parking lot. And then we walk through the store, right through the entrance, right through the departments, right out the back and right out to where the trash compactor is. Uh, but you know, every grocery store, you know, for the most part looks the same, but there are subtle things that they're doing, whether it's customer facing or it's behind the scenes. So for instance, customers, customer facing, um, opportunities that you might see that are uh, being used by grocery stores that are doing it well include, uh, in the parking lot are, are, there, uh, are they communicating to their customer anything about sustainability? Some grocery stores that I've been to have signs out in the parking lot that say, please remember to bring in your reusable bags because, you know, how many times do you walk in and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot them. They're in the car. They're in the, the back of the car. Uh, got, you know, and half the time they go back and half the time they don't for them. But if there's a sign out there, 
okay, great. There's a sign out there that can remind you of that. But more than the fact that it's going to remind you about the bag issue, it shows that that company is communicating something about sustainability before you're in the store, which shows that it's a priority for them. A lot of grocery stores I've been to have signs out where the, the um, little cart uh, racks are that say, you are under surveillance. You know, we prosecute shoplifters. <clears throat> that's a completely different message then. Don't forget your reusable bags, you know. And so the fact that they're actually producing these signs and communicating the importance of something that's sustainable before you're even actually in the store, that's a, that's a great indicator. Um, but as you go through the store, things that you would see would be like, um, you know, efficient refrigeration doors on cases, not open refrigeration cases that are dumping all the cold air out onto the floor and people talking about, ooh, I should have brought a jacket in. You know, you hear that every time. Um, but other things that you might not see, for instance, um, probably the most impactful thing that a grocery store has is it's the gas that it uses for refrigerant. So what, what does it use to refrigerate all those products in terms of the gas? And a lot of the gases that most grocery stores use are incredibly impactful on the atmosphere in terms of climate change um, or even um, ozone depleting gases are used as well. And customers don't see that, but some chains are recognizing that that is an issue that, that needs to be changed. It's costly to switch uh, the refrigerant cast. It's not a, an easy, quick, you know, cheap fix. But it is something that probably has as much impact with regard to climate change as deforestation or meat production. And that is the accidental uh, leak of refrigerant gas at a grocery store. And grocery stores all around the world inadvertently leak at least 25% of their refrigerant gas every year. Uh, and the refrigerant gases that are that are used are thousands of times more potent than CO2. So a um, a common leak uh, at a grocery store can actually the the uh, emissions of that gas from a just a, a average sized leak at an average sized grocery store um, the impact of that will eclipse all of the emissions associated with generating the energy for that store for an entire year. And grocery stores use an amazing amount of energy. They use more energy per, per square foot than any other business type. But just an accidental leak uh, from you know equipment that just happens to be a pinhole leak and some of the gas ex escapes, it, it's, it's extremely impactful. And customers don't ever see that, but that's, a, mm. that's one of the things in the back that you might you know be concerned with. So would that be... Why would that happen? Because I mean, that's quite a shocking a statistic, you know. I mean, that's that's uh, like you say, incredibly impactful. Is that just down to sort of maintenance or uh, poor practices? What? Yeah. And, and, and how does that. that? How do you, how do you see something like that? I imagine it's not a visible, a visible gas. No, no, it's invisible. Uh, mm. But yeah, doing. Um, uh, preventative maintenance uh, on the refrigeration equipment is something that grocery stores really need to consider doing. You know, and it's, I mean, it's easy if you own one grocery store because you can just be on it all the time. But if you're a company that owns 200 or 500 grocery stores across a huge geographic area, it's really hard to manage all of that all the time. Um, so it's a challenge, but uh, it, can be, it can be done if the grocery store company goes about managing for these aspects in a systematic manner. Uh, and right 
now uh, across the planet, uh, grocery stores are managing for this stuff in a very sort of random and willy nilly. It's, 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 it's a daunting task to manage all these facilities. Uh, but really systemization uh, is what can help. And in terms of uh, leak prevention, uh, yeah, preventative maintenance, um, making sure that uh, that um, the pipes are uh, you know insulated, that humid air is not coming in from outside to condense and then freeze on joints, which can wear it down and then potentially cause a leak. So they got to be very diligent uh, mm-hmm. and they have to be very concerned. And so the, 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 the grocery chains that are really working on refrigerant leaks right now uh, are involved in the U.S. EPA's Green Chill program. Uh, and that is a refrigeration uh, program for grocery chains uh, that the participants in that program have cut the leak rate in half from the 25% average that we experience nationally here down to about 13%. And we have worked with some grocery chains that have even got it down to as low as 8% per year. So that's a, a tremendous uh, benefit uh, you know, to the atmosphere. So is, is that kind of maintenance part of your program as well, or would you you'd sort of steer them towards that government uh, green program? We encourage them to participate in programs like that. And there's other programs that we also encourage grocery stores to engage with uh, because that's an engagement issue. And, and we want to see grocery stores, you know, whether they're engaging their employees, engaging the community, or engaging with other organizations that can help them systemize how they manage uh, this immense uh uh, amount of aspects that they that they need to manage at at a grocery store, which yeah include refrigeration, but it also includes lighting. It also includes waste. It also includes water. Food waste is another one, uh, and you know that's another behind the scenes thing that a lot of customers don't see is the amount of food that's wasted, uh, and you know where does it go and where does it end up and how can that be prevented? It's um, it's something that's quite topical in the. In the news over in the UK at the moment, some of the uh, one of the big Tesco's basically is, has started to publish their food waste figures, which is which has started a bit of a, a kind of domino effect, or that's that's the hope at least. But it's it's a huge, I think a lot of pressure from a lot of bodies was needed to get to that point because it's not something people want, not something the big operators certainly want to share. You know that's right. Yeah. Um, so the, if you were entering the store for the first time, you said you'd be coming in through, probably from the parking lot or sort of in, in through the back. What, maybe you could sort of describe the journey a bit. What else would you be looking for? Well, yeah, we also look at the storm drains out in the parking lot and we look to see if they're working properly or where do they go and what kind of stuff is going down into them. Uh, and does the store have somebody that can prevent garbage or uh, other items from you know, uh, going down that storm drain? cigarette butts we were at a we were at a grocery store that had a drain right in front of the front door uh and that uh every customer and every employee had to walk over this drain to get into the store and when you look down inside there were 700 cigarette butts inside that storm drain and then if you look to the left uh across the parking lot there was a pond uh that that storm drain straight piped right into the pond turtles in the pond and you're looking down you got 700 cigarette butts and when we were there with a bunch of grocery store employees during a training of how to fill our workbook out, I looked down and we said, hey, who, who, who cleans out the storm drain? Like, who would call this in? And not one employee knew who, who they should call 
to have that addressed. I mean, obviously we don't want that employee to, to lift out that 100 pound grate and then scoop all that stuff out themselves, but somebody needs to figure out who is the person to talk to about getting that addressed because the next storm event, 700 cigarette butts are going to go straight into the pond, you know, not 50 yards away from the store. Uh, but we go from the parking lot, we look at stuff like that into the entrance. Is there places that customers can recycle plastic bags in the entrance? And we also look, is there places for customers to donate food as they exit the grocery store uh, to um, food pantries or shelters? And then when we walk in, we look at the lighting uh, and we look at the overall, um, you know, what kind of lighting is, is being used? Is it efficient? Is it old? And then we start walking through the departments and we look at the, the refrigeration cases. Are they, are they open? If they're open, do they have shades at night that they can pull down? Uh, when you pull a, a shade down at night beyond the, the, the benefit for the refrigeration equipment acting more efficiently, it actually prevents the produce from drying out uh, because if it's left open all night long, the air conditioning units in the store, which are there to deal with the humidity and dry the store out, they dry the produce out. But when you pull the curtains down at night, it actually keeps the food fresher longer and prevents food waste. We also look at... Uh, how they use their sinks and their spray valves in the sinks and are they low flow? Uh, are they energy efficient? Um, and we also look at the products on the shelves and are the sustainable products on the shelves highlighted so their customers know. And that includes organic or that includes local products. Uh, and it also includes like it might not be food, but like the cleaning chemicals are the more environmentally preferable cleaning chemicals highlighted versus traditional cleaning chemicals. And if they are, they get points for that. And if they're not, if they're just all hidden in there with all the other products, well, then they don't get any points for that. And we just highlight that as an opportunity for the store. So, uh, yeah, we go through, we look at how they um, display their seafood. Do they display the seafood on ice or is it in a refrigerated seafood display, which uses at least $5,000 uh, of energy less Per year than an iced seafood display. Ice is one of the most expensive things you can do with electricity is making ice. And uh, so many grocery stores insist on having seafood displayed on ice. Uh, but, you know, at, at some point the customer is going to start becoming aware like, wow, am I paying this grocery store's electric bill? Like, and when I see open refrigeration or I see blocked, um, vents on the refrigeration that dump all this cold air out or if i see them making ice when they could have a refrigerated seafood display what is the increase in cost of my overall grocery bill for how inefficient this store might be and you know customers aren't quite there yet but i think more and more are starting to think about it because sustainability is resonating more and more with people all over the world and when you go and when they go to these stores twice a week it's quite a study to start looking at all this stuff and so you know, people like to see seafood on ice. It makes them feel like they're on a wharf back in 1800 and they're buying fresh seafood. But, you know, the grocery store doesn't put dirt on the floor in the produce aisle to make you feel like you're walking through a farm. So, you know, but the seafood has to make it feel like you're on a wharf, you know, back 200 years ago. So anyhow, uh, we encourage them to really think about that because that is a huge expense that they can avoid. And they can still have very nice seafood displays on refrigerated seafood tables. Mm. Um, one one of the things um, one of the things you said that I thought was I thought was really interesting. You know, when you when you're spelling it out like that, the the savings that there are, you sort of think, well, that's that's completely clear, and so everyone's going to be on board. And you said that's that's not necessarily the case. People are um, 
you know, don't necessarily just respond to the financial argument. They need to sort of buy into you. You need to convince them as you go around. And uh, yeah, is is how often is that the case? I mean, that's all. That's always the case, actually. Um, and and I think that's because the industry itself survives on a one point seven percent profit margin. So uh, it is literally a single digit profit margin. It's not even two percent on average. The grocery store needs to sell about $17 million worth of products to make $300,000 in profit. And uh, that's a 1.7% profit margin right there. So after selling $17 million worth of stuff in one year, they still have to hope that they're just above that, uh, you know, that, that operating cost line is just slightly under what their revenue line is. Otherwise, they become a nonprofit organization themselves, you know. Uh, and so I think while they could be looking at energy efficiency, you know, energy efficiency and sustainability is still sort of considered an innovative approach. Um, and I think anytime you do something innovative, it means you're not doing stuff as you have always been doing it. And I think one reason why grocery stores still look like it's 1960 when you walk into a grocery store is because they're very reluctant to make any changes because it's a risk to make change. And when you have a 1.7% profit margin, you can't really risk a lot because if you mess that up, now you're a nonprofit organization and you're not making any profit. So I think they're coming from the perspective of let's just keep doing things how we've always been doing it because we know it'll, you know, it works and we barely get by, but it works. But when you introduce them to the concept of like, you know, change your seafood display, that's sort of intimidating to them or trying to take on an energy efficiency project and it turns out it doesn't work. Well, they can't afford to have it not work. But at the same time, they can't afford to be so inefficient as they, as most of them still are. Uh, they, you know, with a 1.7% profit margin, they really need to think about uh, the economics of, of efficiency. Uh, and, but the money doesn't, the money does not, uh, persuade them all the time in terms of efficiency. What persuades them is liking their vendor or liking their partner, feeling comfortable with who they're working with. They really need to feel comfortable with, with people. And it's taken a long time for us to get to 900 stores. Actually, it's only been six years. But, you know, the thing that we really try to do when we're working with grocery chains is to get them to feel comfortable with us, that we're going to try to help them. And we're not here to throw rocks at them and tell them how they're doing everything bad and tell the public how they're doing everything bad. But we need to really build a relationship. And that's how that's what sustainability uh, is all about. It's not necessarily all about the metrics and the reductions. It's about building relationships and having people trust each other and going on a journey together. Sort of like back in the woods, you know, when you're leading a bunch of teenagers through the woods for 15 days at a time, they don't want to be, you don't want to be battling with them the whole time. You got to build relationships. You got to figure out how you can make this all work. And it comes down to systems and trust. But, um, yeah, so the money, uh, you know, it's helpful to let them know. And it's also helpful to let them know that, you know, a lot of customers don't know this. And actually a lot of grocery chains don't know this. But the economics of efficiency for electrical energy uh, equate that every dollar in energy saved at a grocery store is worth $18 in sales. Uh, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. And many grocery chains that I've talked with and worked with, they don't recognize that economics of efficiency. It's almost like uh, an absurd assumption that it's just a one-to-one -one ratio. 
But anytime you bring efficiency in, you're getting more with less. You're doing more with less. And how do you quantify that? And it's hard to quantify that with productivity or with waste. But with electrical energy, it's straight kilowatt hour reduction. You can take the bill and you can reduce that operating cost and compare it to the revenue side. And it's not a one-to-one saving. It's actually every dollar dropped in operating cost is $18 on the revenue side. So it's more valuable to be on the revenue side. So if you can save, if you can save um, $2,000 for a grocery store, it's actually worth $36,000 because you multiply that 18 by, by 18. So if you find a $2,000 energy savings, which is incredibly easy at any grocery store on the planet, uh, that would not be a $2,000 operating cost drop. That's actually worth $36,000 on the revenue side. Well, guess what? $36,000 is worth more than 10% of what their overall profits are. And my program, we can go into any grocery store in America or anywhere in the world. And in 15 minutes, we can find $15,000 of savings. Uh, because there's just so much opportunity at grocery stores to be more efficient. And these are all no-cost, non-installation types. These are like operating practices that employees could help that store be more efficient, which engages the employees. So there's even a better benefit there. Uh, and so that's how we try to sort of frame it up for the grocery stores, uh, you know, to have confidence in us, to feel good about the partnership, um, to have that relationship, and then try to go after the cost savings and the impact reduction that way. I think that <clears throat> makes a lot of sense to frame it that way. You've got, um, and I guess it would work probably to a lesser degree, but, you know, for any, any kind of business selling food, you know, refrigerating food, like a restaurant that had display food, for example, you know, you've got, you, you'd have similar cost savings. And like you say, if you can make that point where the, the cost saving goes straight to the bottom line and, you know, the, the kind of proportionally larger sales that you'd have to generate to, to kind of deliver that increased profit, that that's a really powerful way of, putting it, I think, for an operator. That is. Even if... That know. is. And a lot of the time when we'll see like an open freezer in a grocery store, you know, we'll say, you know, if you had sliding doors on this unit, you know, you could put whatever, 20 sliding doors on this big open, they call them coffin freezers. And, uh, you know, right now it's wide open. I mean, people have freezers in their basements because they go hunting, but they all have tops on them. But the grocery stores... They don't want people to be encumbered by having to slide a door to grab a frozen ham or a frozen turkey out of it. They just want it open. But what they don't consider is how many frozen hams or how many frozen turkeys do they need to sell to cover what the savings would have been if they had a more efficient sliding door there. And when you ask them, so what's the profit margin on a frozen ham, for instance, a lot of times they just don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's it's less than a dollar for the most part. Like a nine dollar ham, the profit margin would be somewhere around fifty, sixty cents, maybe even less than that. Uh, but when you say you could have, you know, you could have uh, twenty doors on this, you could save eight hundred dollars a year. Uh, but if you multiply uh, eight hundred dollars a year by eighteen, comes out to fourteen thousand dollars in actual value on the revenue side, on the bottom line side. How many hams do you need to sell at 40 cents to cover that much money? It turns out you got to sell 36,000 hams, <laughs> but they don't look at it from, well, that, I mean, from that perspective. And that's, that's not a one-time saving. I mean, that's the other thing. I guess they must, they must get very quickly once you paint that picture. That's every that's right. year that's that you've got to do yeah. that. So, I mean, that's, and that's, uh, 
you know, for a single investment in something like <clears throat> freezer doors or, you know, whatever the measure might be, something that pays in perpetuity, that is, that is a, that's a pretty serious thing for an operator. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of fun things that we do. I mean, that's kind of fun to show them that like, how long does it take to sell 36,000 hams? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, well, we know you don't know. That's why you have these open <laughs> freezers here. Time to consider <laughs> yeah. that. But there's other fun things. Um, you know, we have like um, soda machines outside, for instance. Uh, you have to, I don't know why grocery stores have soda machines and vending machines outside of the grocery store because uh, in a lot of the country here it's like winter time and you, you're actually paying to heat the soda uh, we were at a grocery store in the winter and it's 14 degrees outside and you know anytime uh, it gets below freezing you have you ever seen a soda can that sort of explodes as it's you know as it freezes because it expands well you don't buy a soda in the winter time from a vending machine all puffed out and exploded it comes out still at, you know, just above the freezing mark because there's a heater inside the vending machine. So mm. when you when you tell them, you know, you're actually heating soda right now and you have an entire aisle of soda inside the store, but outside the store where this vending machine is, you've got, you're heating the soda right now. Uh, you got to sell about uh, $3,500 worth of soda just to justify having that cost. And we'll frequently ask them, do you sell $3,500 worth of soda at that vending machine? Half the time, they don't even get the money. It goes to the vending machine owner <laughs> and they're using the electricity. Uh, and most of the time they have no idea how many sodas are being sold out of it. And a lot of the time there's not one vending machine, but there's two side by side. So that's actually $7,000 worth of soda have to be sold to justify having those out, out there in front of the store. So that's you know, a fun realization I sometimes to make as well. I, I think it happens quite a lot of a lot here with operators. You know, I, I deal more with sort of restaurant cafe type operators, but um, you know, the the um, sort of Coca Colas and those sorts of people do do the same thing: provide a vending machine at well at zero cost essentially and stock it, and then take. But you sort of forget the amount of resources that's taking. You know, that's taking to run. But uh, yeah, no, it's. it's must be interesting to see all of the pennies drop when people realize that. <laughs> yeah, no. And then also with the vending machines in the break room at the grocery store, like the light is on and it's advertising Coke or Pepsi. And it's like, hey, every employee knows that the soda machine is here in the break room. Does the light really need to be on to like advertise it? I mean, it's not like someone's walking by and it's all of a sudden like, whoa, Pepsi, I didn't see that. Good thing the light is on. Well, yeah, that's only like a $200 savings. Uh, but you know, a $200 savings, you multiply that by 18 and it's like 3,600 bucks, you know, but it's not just Again, one grocery yeah. store. These are chains that we're working with that typically have 200 grocery stores. And if you multiply 200 break room lights by that it comes out to three quarters of a million dollars. And that is a no cost operational fix. You have somebody reach in and just unscrew the light bulb. <laughs> the employees know the vending machine is if you insist on having a soda machine in the break room, even though there's an entire aisle of it in the, in the store, whatever, the least they could do is turn the light off inside that machine. And so, I mean, that comes out to three quarters of a million dollars. And, you know, surviving on a 1.7% profit margin, they don't have three quarters of a million dollars to be throwing around to light up soda machines inside the break room. No, absolutely. Well, 
I want another sort of area I'd love to kind of talk about was the the kind of the role of customers in all of this. And I, and I think I said in the introduction, you know, it's, it's something that you you think there is that role that customers have a role to play. Um, what do you think that that sort of role is? I mean, is it you, you talk about? I think you talked in your speech about going into stores and asking questions of the first person you saw going to customer services and, and then talking to the manager. But is it that sort of thing to just just being curious and asking questions? Yeah, I think so. It's an engagement thing. And, you know, it's actually building a relationship with the store that you go to. And the general awareness of customers is is rising so rapidly in terms of, you know, sustainability aspects. Um, but they've customers have never been prompted to ask their stores anything. That's why we so frequently go into a store, grumble about where something might be made or how it might be made as we're walking through the store, go through the checkout and, and put it in the bags and leave without ever saying anything. But if we can be prompted to do it, we'll be more likely to do it. And so um, just yesterday, uh, we had a high school uh, send us reports from six grocery stores that we, they went to in Massachusetts uh, based on the TED Talk that they watched. And they decided to go to a grocery store and, and grade it based on some of the things that I spoke about in that speech. And their teacher challenged them to not just walk through the store and be anonymous, but also to go up to the manager and ask a couple questions about recycling or about heat reclaim. And so these students were thrilled to go and use this place that they go to so frequently as a learning lab for them. It's so accessible and they're so already intimately familiar with grocery stores. So um, I've done this with fourth graders, uh, but yeah, just yesterday, this high school sent their students out and they wrote a report and they wrote uh, me a nice letter and they engaged with the manager asking about sustainability at the store and they graded the store and they were thrilled to do that. Uh, other, other examples where I've seen this um, is, uh, you know, when we do, when we introduce our program to a grocery chain, sometimes they like to have us come and do a little training and show the employees like what we're looking for in terms of this workbook that we give them and how do they fill it out. And so we've gone to grocery stores and done a training for, you know, 10 employees from 10 stores that came to the central location. Um, but then we walk around the store and show them the stuff in real life and how they could fill this workbook out. And, uh, one time last year, there was actually a customer that was following us along and she's like, what is this? And we noticed that she wasn't an employee, but she was actually a customer. And we said, yeah, well, this is a train, a sustainability training. And she's like, oh, how do you, how do you sign up for this? And we said, well, this is actually for the employees of the company. And she's like, well, no, I want to sign on. I, I'd like to do this. And we, we said, oh. Well, that, she's like, this is so interesting. Everything you're talking about in the aisle about where this food's coming from or these cleaning chemicals, it's like, it was very interesting to her. And when we told her that it was actually just for employees, she was disappointed. And she's like, you should really have a training program for customers that, what to look for. <laughs> so that was kind of a fun realization for us is to realize, yeah, this, this resonates with the customers. If like they hear us, they overhear us in the, in the store talking about this stuff that they want to glom on and follow the group around. I mean, is that something they can do if they obviously there's the TED talk and I'll, I'll put the link in the in the show when this goes out so people could find that. But if you I mean, can people kind of go and get the checklist that you would use as a, you know, as an internal document as the grocery store manager or, or what have you? Can, can you can they get that and see? 
Well, they can't get the full. No, they can't get the full. So the full checklist is about thirty-six pages, and it covers about two hundred items. And you know, Mm. it it would take them a really long time to go through it. Um, Sure. We train the employees how to do it. It it, it takes them about an hour and fifteen to run through their store. But we do have abbreviated checklists that customers can take, uh, and we have given those out. So that would be like a one or a two pager, like really common things Mm. that are visible to the customers. And then four or five things that would require you to actually go to the store manager and say, hey, you know, I'm just interested in sustainability here. And I've been looking at some of this stuff that I got off this list and I've found all these things. But I have four questions to ask you. You know, do you recycle rigid plastics or what do you do with food waste or do you use heat reclaim uh, to, you know, capture the heat off the refrigeration and heat hot water with it? And so that allows them to engage with the store manager. So, yeah, I think... um, you know, on our website, we have the customer, uh, we have a, a little card. There's like a four question survey. And then there's uh, another one that uh, we could make sure I'll make sure that it could be made available in case listeners want to do that. But it's fun to, you know, you have your list anyhow. Yeah, if you're going to the grocery store to go buy your kitty litter, your butter and your milk, you may as well have a sustainability checklist and see how your store is doing since, you know, you're going to be there in the next few days anyway. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I don't. I reckon people will be interested in that. We'll, we'll make sure they get it. Um, the certification program itself, and we've kind of, we've talked around it <clears throat> a little bit now, but the, the, the steps, what steps do they, grocery stores have to take in, in getting accreditation? How does it work? So the way it works uh, is it's a store level certification. So either an independently owned small grocery store can do it, um, or a chain that has 200 or 2,000 stores can do it. Um, so uh, the way it was, the way it's, it's been developed, is that it's uh, specific to each store. So if a chain does it and they want to have 200 stores certified, uh, there are uh, questions that would be more corporate oriented that are consistent across all the stores. But then there's all these questions that are really store specific because not every store is exactly the same. Some stores have more refrigerated doors than others. Some have different lighting than others. Some have food waste programs and some don't. So the workbooks are divided into two types of questions, green and blue. All the blue questions are corporate and all the green are store specific. We fill it out, uh, the blue questions first. And so that way they get a partially completed workbook and then they need to fill in the green questions everything is points based so there's either one three or five points although the employee engagement opportunities are 10 Uh, but uh, they go through the workbook and they figure out how many points they have and what we don't do is we don't uh, we do not have different tiers of certification there is no gold medal in the olympics version there's no platinum it's not like you don't get a bronze it's like you either get certified or you don't Sort of like CPR. Like when you take a CPR class, Mm -hmm. they don't give you a gold, you know, CPR card. It's like you get certified or you don't. So that's how it is with our program. Uh, You either have systems in place or you need to work on getting systems in place. And so we have a 150-point threshold. And if stores come in at 150 points, they're certified. They can document that in the workbook. A lot of the times they come in at about 130 and they need 20 points, and we will give them all the no-cost sort of recommendations that they can get up to that threshold level. And 150 points is not like an award-winning level either. It is like it is where every grocery store on the planet should be, uh, is 150, because so many are below that. 
So it's sort of like the starting gate of a horse race. You know, I just, we want to get them in the gate at 150 and then three years down the road, we want all these participants to recertify at 175 points. And then three years after that, we want them to recertify at 200 points. So that's how we build the continual improvement. And we want them in. And once they're in and they're off and running, uh, you know, we think that it's more likely that they're going to increase their point total once they systemize how they start tracking and managing this stuff. Because right now, most grocery stores are just random. They're like, yeah, we have some energy efficiency programs. Oh, really? Which stores? Well, I don't know. We have 200 stores. Well, how do you know which ones have it or not? Well, we're working on that. Mm. Or like, yeah, we do recycle. We do some recycling. Oh, really? Where? Well, I don't really know which store. So we want them to system. We want them to be able to answer that, you know, confidently and have a tracking mechanism and know which stores they should prioritize, which districts they should prioritize, or which aspects of what we're looking for they should prioritize. And we take all those workbooks and then we crunch them down into a report. And we quantify the value of sustainability for that company in terms of what it means to the company overall and what it means per store. And we give them the metrics of the impact reductions as well. And so, uh, yeah, 150 points is the, the starting. If a company, if a, if a store comes in over 175, like at 186, for instance, three years later, they just need to indicate that they're still above 175 by doing the report again. And then we'll go, then we'll get them the next time to go to 200. But it's like the starting gate of a horse race. And, you know, some horses, you ever seen a horse race, some horses are stubborn and they're like, they don't want to get in there. And somebody's trying to pull them into the gate, you know, but for the most part, they can get them in there. And then the, the gun goes off and the horses start running. And that's, that's basically what we're trying to do. Do you, with, within that, so you've got the 150 points kind of total is, is the, entry level they need to get in there and I, I imagine sort of within that there are sections so you've got the green and the blue questions but within the sort of green questions it, is it split down into say like refrigeration and some other area uh yeah originally that's how it was it was all like energy questions water questions and waste questions mm. but then about the second or third year of the program we realized it's actually better if we do it as we walk through the grocery store so then we that's when we divide it into parking lot store entrance produce seafood deli back room compactor and then we have all the energy waste or water questions all within the, the those and each of those um sort of sections are like the departments or the areas of the store and they each have their own green and blue questions uh in those that's the way the workbook's laid out yeah it may, makes more sense that sort of coming from like the operation side rather than the the way that you'd you know kind of do it saturday computer thinking i guess you know yeah no that's that makes right. sense yeah, because we want them to walk through it. We want them to have it in hand when they walk through. We don't really want them just to sit yeah. down and knock it out. Uh, but we really want them to think, okay, these questions are all about um, like the butcher shop. I guess I'll, I guess I'll take this down and I'll, I'll fill it out while I'm down there. And then they'll go into the back room and look at their recycling and their weight. And you know, we want them to take it and walk through the store with it. Hmm. Do you? So what the you said the certification it's in. It's in the States. It's in America. Is it available anywhere else? Do you have plans for it to be? Yeah, we, it can be anywhere. Uh, it's just that we launched it and, you know, it's still a pretty new program. Um, and now that we're up about, we're actually approaching 900 stores now. Uh, we do have one store in Canada. Uh, okay. And um, we do have uh, some discussions going on in the UK uh, with some stores in the, with some chains in the UK that this could be a very useful tool uh, for them. Mm -hmm. 
because beyond just tracking what's going on at the stores, you know, we do help quantify that value and we do highlight what their opportunities are and give them recommendations on how they should do that. And so, yeah, some stores in the UK are interested. We'd like to, we can go anywhere really with it. Hmm. It, it doesn't even have to be restricted to earth. I mean, if there's a grocery store somewhere, else, I don't see why it wouldn't work, you know, on some other planet that has a grocery store. Okay, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep an eye on SpaceX and what they're up to and get involved. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I, I think. I mean, we could keep going. It, we, but we need to we need to start wrapping up. Just, uh, just mindful of the time that we have. And I tend to, I tend to ask at the end of these interviews, um, just a, a couple of more general questions. Um, so there's a couple I thought I might ask you. And the the first one is, um, what your favorite? What is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with food? Paddle whitewater. Really? Yeah. That's, I, I don't do it as much as I used to do it, but that is that's my that's my favorite thing. When you were outward bound, I guess that is kind of a daily thing. But yeah, uh, back then it was a daily thing, and now I mean I live in Maine, <laughs> and Maine is a, one of the top whitewater states in the country, and uh, mm. you know my kids are now at the age where they're starting to enjoy it. Uh, so I think I'll probably be doing a little bit more of it now in the in the near future. Yes, that sounds. I've never done it. I. Uh, I don't think that there is white water in in the UK, but not. Oh, yeah. I don't think quite in the same, the same scale. No, well, you know, I mean, there are. I mean, there are some great paddlers that have come from the UK as well. So, so yeah, you know, and Europe, Europe also has great water all over the place. I should look it up. But, uh, I'll ask you one more question, and then then we'll then we'll wrap it up um, fully. Which, in in the context of food, if I say success, who, who do you think of, and why? That's a good question. Um, when you say success, who do I think of when it comes to the context of food? I think of the people that, uh, you know, I'm not one of them, but when I think of the people that know how to produce and grow food on their own and are uh, uh, basically can sustain themselves on their own resourcefulness, mm. that's, that, I, I feel that's success. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great answer. I'd, I would tend to agree. Um, okay, I think we'll leave it there. And um, so it's just thank, thank you very much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation to have and, yeah, fascinating. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, Alex. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, that was fun. Absolutely. Um, I'll, put, I'll put links and things in the notes, but would you like to... Just for anyone listening, would you like to direct them to anything if they want to hear a bit more? Uh, yeah, we have a website called grocerycert.org. That's the website for grocery sustainability. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put that down in the notes so they can just click on it. But um, for anyone listening, you could just go and go and search that out yourself, grocerycert.org. Yeah. And I, we have a Facebook page, too, uh, for grocery stewardship certification. Okay, well, I'll link all of that in. So for anybody still listening at this point, they should be interested and we'll, uh, we'll kind of point them in the right direction. But uh, Brilliant. All right, Peter, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Alex. Bye-bye.